0: From Bowling Green State University and the Institute for the Study of Culture and Society, this is BG Ideas.
1: I'm going to show you this with a wonderful experiment. Welcome back to the Big Ideas podcast, a collaboration between the Institute for the Study of Culture and Society and the School of Media and Communication at Bowling Green State University. I'm Jolie Sheffer, Associate Professor of English and American Culture Studies and the Director of ICS. Due to the ongoing pandemic, we are not recording in the studio, but remotely via phone and computer. As always, the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of BGSU or its employees. The region in which Bowling Green State University and its campuses are situated inhabit the Great Black Swamp and the Lower Great Lakes region. This land is the homeland of the Wyandotte, Kickapoo, Miami, Potawatomi, Ottawa, and multiple other Indigenous tribal nations, present and past, who were forcibly removed to and from the area. We recognize these historical and contemporary ties in our efforts towards decolonizing history, and we honor the Indigenous individuals and communities who have been living and working on this land from time immemorial. Today, we're joined by Jairo Bustamante and Dr. Pedro Porben. Jairo Bustamante is a Guatemalan-born director who has recently released his third film, La Llorona. He has received the Venice Days Best Director Award at the Venice International Film Festival, and he's been listed as one of the most promising filmmakers of 2020 in Sight & Sound magazine. And he's made it to the short list for the Academy Awards. Dr. Pedro Porben is an associate professor here at BGSU, teaching contemporary Latin American and Caribbean literature, film, and cultural and critical theory, as well as transatlantic studies. Thank you both for joining me today. Very glad to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us.
2: Happy to be here, too.
1: My first question is for you, Jairo. You recently released your third film, To Great Acclaim. Without giving away any spoilers, can you give us a brief... Summary of the plot of La Llorona.
2: La Llorona is a film talking about a motherland who is tired to cry their disappeared children. And in a way, it's a portrait of Guatemala.
1: How did you make your way into filmmaking? Your work is deeply engaged with social issues. And how did you find your way to filmmaking as the right way for you to make a statement around the social issues that matter to you?
2: Oh, you know, it's very complicated because I think it's, it's a whole thing, it's a whole life. And, and I grew up in a Mayan community in the central highlands of Guatemala. And my grandma was um, a woman Mayan descendant. And I discovered when I was eight that she was making a lot of effort to hide her origins. And after that, I discovered that my family was making efforts to hide her origins. And the village was making effort to hide the origins of every indigenous people. And at that moment, I had conscience that in Guatemala, being an indigenous people was a cause of shame. And in a way, I decided to to dedicate my career to fight against discrimination. And to quote Rigoberta Menchu, I can say that at that moment, my conscience was born.
1: And for you, how did you decide filmmaking would be the best way or the right way for the kind of social action um, once your consciousness was raised?
2: Oh, for me, I consider myself more a storyteller than a filmmaker. But films, movies are the um, tools that I prefer to tell my stories. And I come from a family with a very, very long history in, in telling stories, in oral telling stories. And it's a traditional thing in my mother family. But I, have very, I, have, I was very upset with the fact that one word can create different images in the mind of the people reading. So I discovered like that films because films give me the opportunity to show the image that I wanted to create.
1: Pedro, for you, you are studying film and literature and stories, right, of Latin America and the Caribbean. How, for you, did you find your way into that conjunction, right, through the scholarly direction? But how did those things come together for you?
0: That is an excellent question, and I don't even know how to answer that properly in such a short amount of time. But well, growing up in Cuba and being educated under the revolution pushed me in the direction of looking for the monstrosity of some events that were happening at the same time that I was growing up, right? So this idea that we're living in a perfect society, but it's so infused with monsters, because the idea that, that everything that is not the revolution, it was against the revolution. Therefore, it's a monster that have been fabricated, that has been constructed, in a sense, during our daily
1: lives. Well, you've given me a beautiful segue on the subject of monsters. Jairo, you've created a story that takes a very old, you know, kind of mythological figure in Mexican and Latin American culture, right, of La Llorona, and you've used it in a really fresh and new way. Could you talk a little bit about how you came about sort of maybe deciding to tell this story through this reimagination of this familiar kind of mythological figure?
2: Yeah, I made three films talking about the worst insults in Guatemala and creating a very big separation between people. So the third one is communist, and people in Guatemala use communists to insult all the others who defend human rights. So I wanted to talk about that. And I, and I was thinking about the fact that if in Guatemala being somebody who protects human rights they deserve an insult, but I, knew, I was conscious about the fact that my people don't want to talk about that. And so I decided to hide the message and I made as a marketing study to understand which kind of films Guatemalan people are watching and they are watching in 98% horror films and superhero films. And in a way, La Llorona is a kind of a superhero with all the elements coming from horror. So in a way, it was the perfect match to talk about that. And that permit me to change, maybe not change, but make another version about La Llorona, more close to the original version, because in the original one, La Llorona was a divinity, it was a Mesoamerican princess. And after the the Spanish conquest, La Llorona became a misogynistic story. So I want to come back to the origin.
1: Yeah, I love that. As, you know, a feminist myself, right, you've turned this, you know, the woman as traitor to the nation, right, Um, and also as sort of destroyer of her own family, you've turned that around, and she becomes the conscience of the nation, sort of speaking what has been buried. I wonder, Pedro, if you could provide us a little bit of a context for whether it's specifically the figure of La Llorona or the sort of the idea of monstrosity across Latin America and how different places and different artists have really explored, you know, these sorts of old stories to tell in new ways to speak to kind of social issues in much the way that Jairo has done with this film. So we will have
0: to think about the, the idea of the monster in the postmodern fantastic monster, if you will, how it has been represented, right? Because basically that's the core of your question. So the postmodern fantastic monster moves in between anomaly and domestication. The idea that the postmodern fiction has continued to produce all kinds of impossible and disturbing monsters. Uh, But at the same time, there are many works, many cultural products from literature to film that trivialize and tame, if you will, the monster, stripping down the monstrosity of the monster, right? By attributing normality to the monster, that creature, is incorporated into reality. So what I found extremely compelling in Heido's movie is that movement towards deconstructing the genesis and also the exegesis of a monster. So instead of playing within the framework of a more Hollywood desk kind of movie, Jairo is moving away from that and he's bringing La Llorona as a pretext to analyze contemporary issues. I think Jairo is moving La Llorona and genocide and the monstrosity of the ethnic cleansing. He's moving that and opening a huge spectrum of criticism throughout the entire Latin America uh, cinema.
1: What I'm hearing is one of the things that stories like Jairo's reveal to us is that what seems to be the supernatural monster the real monster is what is within. I think about in your film, Jairo, the ways in which what seems to be a specter from outside, the horror keeps getting peeled back. And it's like, who's the real monster, right? Is it the dictator? Is it his family for continuing to defend him and refusing to recognize that someone can be a nice person and also do monstrous things, right? So- I think those are kind of really running things. I also think, too, Pedro, about the way that, like, the figure of Caliban has been, you know, in a lot of Latin American literature and philosophy has been reclaimed and turned around to sort of represent a different story. I have a question, um, Jairo, about the relationship between art and commerce in your work. You were alluding to the ways in which you were very thoughtful about wanting to use a genre that would be appealing to your audience. And I think too often the narrative we hear is sort of it's a trade-off. It's either one or the other. Either you can have artistic integrity or you're a sellout just trying to reach an audience. And what you're suggesting is... There's actually more of a synergy, right, of finding the way in which to use the forms an audience values, understands, appreciates in order to sort of Trojan horse your message in. Could you talk a little bit more about how you think about the relationship between art and commerce in your work?
2: You know, I I wanted to try to touch the most bigger audience that I can. And I think to do that, you have to be universal. And if you wanna talk about a real local fact, you have to understand how humans will understand that. But sometimes you can give them a new way to receive the story. So for example, in La Llorona, I really love to, to go back to the monster. I really love the fact that normally for people, People are monsters, but in, in Mesoamerica, the people are not monsters. They are our ancestors, and we are living with them all the time. And we are living in a, in a magical realism all the time. So, in that film, I didn't want to use only uh, political drama and oral drama. I wanted to put a little bit of uh, magical realism and folklore at the same time. So, I built a kind of a balance with three baskets, and I was putting an element of each in one of the baskets you have the balance.
1: I'm wondering, Pedro, if you could provide us with some other examples of contemporary writers in Latin America and the Caribbean um, who are taking a kind of well-known ghost story, monster, kind of mythological figure and are recasting it to tell a very contemporary story and to maybe unsettle some of those binaries that Jairo's just talked about.
0: In, in the 21st century, there are not too many writers engaging with the idea of monsters and monstrosity as in the 20th century. In the 20th century, as a result of the boom of la literatura latinoamericana, and as Jairo has said before, uh, the emergence of magical realism and other genres, there was this Temptation, if you will, to frame a narrative within monstrosity and, and talk about monsters. But as the 21st century entered into the picture, there has been, I would say, a little bit less interest on that kind of representation in literature and film. Probably because the idea of the monster has evolved from the 20th to the 21st century. And now, of course, we're living under a pandemic. So that changes everything, right? Because it changes our framework of references and we don't engage anymore with these fantastic universes of monsters. Which is actually interesting is that although there haven't been so many in in literature, science fiction is I would say one of the genres that is using monsters as a background more frequently, especially in Caribbean science fiction, which is more or less what I work with. Many Cuban writers have been trying to approach this idea of the monster from different vantage points and trying to incorporate them into the genre of the fantastic, right? Which is, again, uh, a very wide genre because you can incorporate in in there like magical realism and and fantasy and, and other subgenres. So that's pretty much how monsters have been entering the twenty first century.
1: I wanna shift gears into a a different realm of question, which is really about collaboration. And Jairo, filmmaking is such a collaborative uh genre I wonder if you could talk a bit with us about how you approach collaboration, Um, because I think not only is filmmaking generally, but I think your particular approach and your interest in representing Mayan people on film, the use of native languages, things like that. So could you talk a bit about some of your priorities around collaboration when it comes to filming a story like La Llorona?
2: Oh, thank you. That's a, a very important thing for me because I feel that we are living a very nice moment in Guatemala. And maybe it's not a very nice moment in terms of industry or money. We are prepared to make films and we didn't have the industry with all the heaviness, uh, happiness of the of the industry. So we are more as a family, as a as a troupe of theater working together. So there is less uh, hierarchy and there is more people participating in creative moments. And I think that is is the magical that we are living. And for me, it's more important because when I started in Guatemala in 2013, I wanted to make my first film, but I discovered that in Guatemala, we didn't have a real industry. So I had to became a producer And I didn't find actors, so I had to train there. And after that, I made a film, and I didn't find um, distributors, so I had to distribute my film and train people to do that after that. And the actors that I trained, they became real actors with plenty of talents and and some other gifts that they have, that I decided to follow them, and I became their agent. But it is very interesting.
1: Pedro, in your work and your role, I'd like you to talk a bit about collaboration as a scholar. And, you know, Jairo is here as the keynote for the Latino Issues Conference. And uh, you and many others are part of a cluster of folks involved in studying Latin American and Latino issues as part of an ICS cluster, could you talk about what collaboration means to you as you think of yourself as a scholar, as a teacher, as a community member?
0: Well, that's a very important question. Collaboration in this moment in time is crucial. Just to give you an idea, last semester in my class, we had nine people from all over the world that came to our class to talk about not only the issues that we were discussing, but to present their, their own work. And that was beautiful in so many ways because basically I, I couldn't pay them anything, so they came out of free will. They offered their time. But way before that, as as you mentioned, the ICS Closer, we have been collaborating and doing a lot of activities together and trying to come up with the most crazy ideas ever this conference the latino issues conference latina latino latinx issues conference is one of the best examples you have not only faculty but staff and people from all over the university collaborating and working together towards this event which is which is huge we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of the conference this year and and these are people from from different units across the university, right? Everybody working together, collaborating, putting energy and time and emotion, creating a community of knowledge, community of people who are working together towards a goal, which is basically informing the community at large of Latino and Latinx issues in in general. Since I came to Bowling Green, I, I, I realized that You you have to collaborate. You have to work together if you want to accomplish anything at the university level.
1: We're going to take a quick break. Thank you for listening to the Big Ideas podcast.
0: If you are passionate about Big Ideas, consider sponsoring this program. To have your name or organization mentioned here, please contact us at ics at bgsu.edu.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Big Ideas Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Jairo Bustamante and Pedro Porben about monsters and storytelling in Latin American culture. I have a question. I'll start this one for you, Pedro, and then I'll transition it to Jairo. You study films and revolution in Latin America. What role, besides simply documenting them, have you seen film and cultural products play in fomenting, in helping articulate or shaping revolutions in sort of the Latin American and Caribbean world. I mean,
0: they they go together like perfectly because basically cinema has always been a tool that any social movement has used in order to communicate their goals. For instance, the beginning of the Mexican cinema, right? The, the Mexican revolution and the uses of cinema to to move a revolution across a huge country that otherwise people wouldn't be connected. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think about this idea of Anderson and Imagine communities through film, because basically that's how the film industry has been used in Latin America. In Cuba in particular, which is again my homeland
1: well, and so the way I'd ask you, Jairo, is in this sort of new industry that you're helping to create, how are you seeing or hoping to see your work, your collaborative work, make new changes in Guatemala and beyond?
2: For sure, it's not only me. There is a lot of other filmmakers doing a, a great work, and there were another filmmaker for me. And I, I really believe about the fact that films can change societies or can create impact. And as Pedro said, movies are an excellent tool. So after that, I think we have to create our filmmakers with a very, very strong conscience about ethic and empathy to push the stories to that, that way. And we are trained to do that in my production company. Even if we are 70% of indigenous people, we are discriminating them all the time, and women at the same time. And right now, the most important icon in my country is Maria Mercedes Coroy, who is the lead actress of La Llorona and of Ishkanul. And so there is one thing that I'm really proud about. She is the most important woman at that moment in media. And she's indigenous and, and woman and single and young, <laughs> and so all that is a social change. As your question said to Pedro, is revolution are not only the political revolution. Revolution can be just an attitude and change in attitude.
1: So I have another kind of shift gears, but I think it follows on a lot of what you're talking about, which is this one that I'll start with. Jairo, what role does research play in your process? What kind of research did you do as you were writing La Yorona? Were you talking to people who had lived through the Civil War? Like, what role does research play in your process, and how does it inform, you know, what ends up on the screen?
2: The period that I'm in research... It's a period that I am enjoying, really. And so I build a, a structure in my production company with people working with me to make the, the research. And they have a very interesting way to abort all the subjects that you want to study or character that you wanted to meet. And I'm using that. But when I have enough of information, real information, I mean, I really want to stop that and start the other part of my work that is fiction, you know, and at that moment, I really love to to say bye-bye to the real characters and start with fiction. For example, in La Llorona, our characters are based in the real process about genocide in my country, but I didn't want to create my characters, taking inspiration from the real general or the real family in a way because I don't think that they deserve a film, and in another way because I was looking for a, an answer about the fact that if that people, and not only in Guatemala but in all Latin America, that people I mean, this kind of, of military people, dictators are saying that they save us, and all the people that they kill deserve to be killed because they were communists. I was wondering if at night, they continue thinking like that. And, and so I prefer to, to just go to the fiction in, at that moment. I, I'm trying to find the answer that I'm looking for.
0: Can I actually say something about the last point that you asked, Hairo? Because I'm extremely interested in what Hairo had just said about placing the camera inside the home of the monster. That is something that, when I watched the film for the first time, stroked me profundamente. I was like, what's going on in this film? If a film doesn't move me, if I don't feel engaged, or as Althusser used to say, if I don't feel interpolated by the text, I don't care about the movie. But this movie from the beginning took me in into a different dimension that i was not expecting right R- right now i'm thinking about lovecraft the the master of horror i think lovecraft said something like the oldest and most intense emotion of humanity is fear and the oldest and most intense of fears is a fear of the unknown but i will raise this, and, and propose a different question after watching Hyrule's movie. The worst fear is actually living with the monster and pretending that it's an unknown entity. So that's where my entire system was upside down. I mean, if you can actually accomplish something like that, like if, if you are actually getting into my private space. Interpolating me as a as a spectator, then I want to engage with your movie. then
1: that's the change. That's a movie that is going to make a change, right? Well, and to that point, I think one of the things that is so powerful about the film is it's grounded in such specificity, right? It is, you know, there is no mistaking that this isn't just any Latin American country, right? There is such a tension in terms of language, costume, other things that this is about Guatemalan history. And yet watching it and thinking about the questions it raises about what happens when we do not, in fact, kind of address the demons and the ghosts in our own land, like to me made connections to all sorts of things. Like I have visited extermination camps in Poland, right? And those landscapes, walking through them, I felt the weight of history. I felt like it was a haunted landscape. I felt like there was something that like was unsettled in that land. And I think that that's one of the beauties of the film is it it raises these questions, it makes you connect with the larger issues of the film without it sacrificing that specificity. I don't think that's a question, but it is an observation. (laughs) Either of you wanna add anything? It is a beautiful comment. (laughs) I do have a question, Jairo, which is how much are you conscious of trying to kind of frame the language of the film or its imagery, you know, the use of La Llorona as a figure that isn't unique to Guatemala? How much are you trying to weigh the specificity of the Guatemalan history and culture with broader themes that speak to other audiences?
2: I I really believe that genocide is the more vigorous horror that a human can imagine. So I don't think that La Llorona is so local because he's talking about that. And I think racism is one of our more used compartments. And so as a human, we know that. And we know how feels feel somebody being discriminated. And we know how we feel when we use discrimination. So in a way, I think it's, it's an universal film. And I wanted to talk about... You know, it's, it's a kind of a space in fiction to make a catharsis. That is the film. As Latin American people, we need that to pretend in a fictional world that somebody protect us because our state are not doing that. So it's very nice because it's colorful, but it's sad at the same time to understand that we need to have a fictional world
0: to, to be protected. Do you mind if I add a little bit of something? What is different in La Llorona is that it's forcing me to actually engage with the movie, with the cultural product, with this text at such a different level. Because this movie is actually redefining what national cinema is in the 21st century. We are accustomed to the idea of national cinema that came from the, the revolutions in the in the 20th century or the national movements, liberation movements, etc. But Hairo by not only by challenging and redefining the themes, but by creating the infrastructure that the national cinema needs in order to function in places where there is no cinematic industry. And if there is a cinematic industry, the industry has been controlled by the people who have been trying to silence the genocide. So by opening these uh, new avenues of creation, by incorporating the silence of voices into not only the acting or performative space, but to creating the infrastructure for the production of, of new cinematic tests, Jairo is actually, again, as I said before, raising the bar really high, right? In the case of Guatemala, You have to collaborate among people with different ethnicities, different languages, different backgrounds, but a similar pain, a similar history of violence, and a a huge need of what the movie is actually doing, trying to talk about something that is so painful, opening, in a sense, not closing the, the wound, no cerrando la herida, sino mostrando la herida, which is a different kind of criticism. If she will,
1: I have a final question for each of you, and uh, you know you'll take this in your own way. But what are your hopes for what audiences will take away from the film? But also, what are your hopes for you know the future of Guatemalan cinema and the future for kind of social change more broadly, and the role of art in helping to foster that social change. So Jairo, will you take that first?
2: There is a lot of hope that I, <laughs> but I, I will start for, for, with a modest hope. And our, in our country, the state spend a lot of money and a lot of energy to silence over history. So in school, we never study that, and normally people are afraid to talk about that. So if somebody watched the film, and the film became an appeal to that people to look for a little bit more about our story that's a goal. Movies are so magical because there is two universes, or three or four, or 100. And one of that universe is glamour and fame and bread carpets. And movies have that too. And La Girona in my country, even if people doesn't like the film, they like it. The fact that Barcelona has been in a lot of festivals, winning a lot of prizes, and is nominated for the Golden Gloves, and, and we were in, in some red carpet. So I think if a film can open a door, the way is there for new generation of filmmakers. And I'm sure that we will start hearing about new stories in Mesoamerica.
1: And Pedro, what are your hopes for your students, right? Jairo was talking about a new generation of filmmakers, sort of thinking about the conference and about your classes. What are your hopes that the current generation of students will learn from the classes you teach and from films like Jairo's that they can take out into the world? I, I want my
0: students to actually feel the film, to move beyond this idea that the expectator have to be passive and do not engage with the product. I want them to feel that this movie is talking to them, that it's talking to the silent spaces that we have in our conscience, in our framework of reference, that they will engage in a way with movies after the class that is more critical, and they will approach movies after this class in a different way, that they will explore cultural products under a different lens or using different tools, or trying to open their understanding of the world in general, and to question everything. I hope that people will start paying more attention to genocide in Guatemala, and the crisis in Latin America in general. They will understand a little bit better what's going on in our countries, instead of just like receiving tweets, that they will go and explore a little bit more after watching Jairo's film that they would explore a little bit more about Guatemala and the history of violence in Latin America.
1: Thank you both so much for joining me. This was a great conversation. Listeners can keep up with ICS by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ICSBGSU. You can listen to Big Ideas wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us on your preferred platform. Our producers for this episode are Chris Cavera and Marco Mendoza with sound editing by Deanna McKeegan and Marco Mendoza. Research assistance for the episode was provided by Deanna McKeegan with editing by Stevie Shorek.